Thank you, President Hinckley. Elder Scott, you have touched our hearts, and with our hearts we sustain you. Seven-year-old Jamie loved her mother dearly. The family had known for nearly a year that their wife and mother was dying of cancer. The father and seven children fasted and prayed. They pled with the Lord to heal her. Everything possible was done for their mother, yet at the end of three painfully difficult months she passed from this life. In the first hours following her death, the family brought the grieving family together. After prayer, the children went to their separate rooms to prepare for bed. Jamie, who had spent many hours with her mother and was devoted to her, knelt at her own bedside. Heavenly Father, she prayed through her tears, We thank Thee for the great mom you gave us. We thank Thee for helping us try to make her well. Help us to be good so we can live with her again. Without a hint of bitterness, this little seven-year-old girl continued for several minutes in a sweet attitude of peaceful prayer, reflecting her understanding and acceptance of her mother's death. Jamie was a child at peace. How did she come to that peace? She had been prepared by parents with spiritual understanding. Such preparation brings peace. I have chosen to speak about our children, precious children of our Heavenly Father throughout the earth. I pray that my message will be received and understood, for these are among the most valiant spirits to come into the world. We can do no less than to bestow on them a legacy of peace. Our Heavenly Father has promised peace to His children. All thy children shall be taught of the Lord, and great shall be the peace of thy children. Peace in the Lord can give them freedom from self-doubt, freedom from fear, freedom from the confinement of their environment, freedom from enslaving habits. His peace can free them to unfold from the tender buds they are to the mature and fruitful adults they can be. Just as the fragile bud contains all of the essential elements to develop into a lovely plant or flower, each child comes to us with the potential for individual self-fulfillment of his eternal destiny. In both instances, in order that what is inside can be fully developed, it must be nurtured from the outside. In nature, plants require light, water, air, and nutrients to thrive. The human spirit thrives on love, knowledge of its origin, and teachings of a spiritual nature. It is important that we provide a favorable environment for spiritual growth and the peace that will accompany it. This peace I speak of will result in quiet assurances, even in the midst of worldly pressures and turmoil. Brothers and sisters, the children need our help. They need us to prepare them. They need us to help them obtain the peace of the Lord. Today is neither too early nor too late to prepare the children, and anyone can do it. A young new family just beginning, an established family with children of several ages, a family with one parent, grandparents, aunts, uncles, 
neighbors and kind, understanding church leaders and teachers. All of us can teach children of the Lord. We begin by teaching what we are. The children need us. They need to see in us what they can become. They need to see us keeping the commandments. We must come unto the Lord and seek for the peace of the gospel in our own lives. Learn of me, he said, and listen to my words. Walk in the meekness of my spirit, and you shall have peace in me. When we are at peace, then our children can be at peace. A wise bishop made this observation, and I quote, I have seen families where parents are at home with the gospel, where gospel principles are a matter-of-fact, everyday way of life, where parents treat their children with courtesy and respect, with the full understanding that they are children of God. In these homes, the children seem to be at peace because their parents have given them a clear message. They know they are children of God, they feel their worth, and have focus to their lives knowing that eternity is their goal." Close quote. To some, a family like the ones described by that bishop may seem impossible to attain. And no family is perfect. All of us are, and all families are made up of human beings with mortal weaknesses who sometimes go astray. But family members, including parents, can begin where they are and learn and grow together. Now, we've been promised that family home evening and family prayer and reading the scriptures together can strengthen and give direction to each member of a family and can knit the family together. If you haven't been having family home evening or family prayer, you may feel awkward about beginning. That's all right. Do it anyway. Gather the family together. Tell them that although you haven't been doing so, you wish to begin. Now I must warn you that Satan will attempt to thwart your efforts because family strength is a threat to his work. So persevere, even though it takes some effort and planning to overcome attitudes and obstacles. When the family gathers for evening prayer, it's a good time for sharing the day's experiences and reading the scriptures and sharing testimonies. Children especially need to hear the the testimonies of their parents. One family repeats an article of faith every evening for a week or memorizes a scripture or recites books in the Book of Mormon. Another family focuses on one child or a parent each day with each member telling something good about that person. It takes just a few minutes. Children of all ages need to hear positive observations about themselves, especially from their parents. Immerse the children in the stories of Jesus so they can know him and can imagine what it might have been like to have lived when he was on earth. Tell them how he took the children on his knee and blessed them and prayed for them. Tell them how the people knew that he was the Son of God. When I was a child, I loved to hear about the Savior's triumphal entry into Jerusalem. Many people heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem for the Feast of the Passover. They knew he was the Son of God. They went out to meet him. Imagine what it might have been like to have been a child in that happy crowd. The scripture says it was a very great multitude. They were probably waiting along the narrow streets of Jerusalem, becoming more and more excited as they strained to see if he was coming yet. Then, as he came into view, riding on a donkey, can't you just hear a great cheer going up? 
They spread their clothes and tree branches on the ground for the donkey to walk on like they did for kings. And they waved palm leaves in the air. They cried, Hosanna to the Son of David. Hosanna in the highest. Oh, wouldn't you love to have been there? Yes, tell them about the Savior so they'll have a trust in Him, so they'll develop a desire to be like Him and want to be with Him again. Yes, our homes can provide peace for the children, blessings beyond you parents, and blessings beyond you devoted church leaders who hold the welfare and spiritual growth of children in high priority, priesthood and primary leaders who minister to the children. At primary, too, children are taught of the Lord. A wise stake primary president in Australia has as her goal that when the children come to primary, they will feel the Spirit of the Lord. Those will be children at peace. Primary children, I'm proud to say, President Benson, have this year read and discussed the Book of Mormon. Nine-year-old Matt in Wisconsin spoke in the Children's Sacrament Meeting presentation in his ward just a few weeks ago about something he had learned that brought him peace. He said, When my father told our family we would be moving from Denver to Wisconsin, the mother re- my mother reminded us of Lehi's family. Like them, I was leaving the only home I had known, all my friends, my school, and my ward. Luckily, we got to bring all our possessions with us, though they were in storage for three months, and we missed having a house and our precious things. My mother reminded us of how Nephi accepted this challenge willingly, knowing that the Lord would prepare a way for them, that they may accomplish the thing that he commanded them. I have learned that I can do without things but not without my family. My brothers and sisters and I have tried to be more like Nephi than his complaining brothers. I'm grateful for the things that the Book of Mormon teaches us." Yes, when children are taught of the Lord, we bestow on them a gift, a legacy of peace, which can lead them to eternal life. We must not fail them. May all our children have the blessing to be taught of the Lord, that they might be, indeed, children at peace. I pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. My beloved brothers and sisters, my heart is full and my feelings tender as we conclude this great general conference of the Church. I have a desire to speak on missionary work, but I'll refrain. (laughs) We have been richly blessed as we have listened to the counsel of our brethren, the testimonies of which have been spoken.
as a special witness of Jesus Christ and as his humble servant, it is now my privilege, as the Spirit dictates, to bear pure testimony and witness to that which I know to be true. This I will do. I testify that we are the spirit offspring of a loving God, our Heavenly Father. He has a great plan of salvation whereby his children might be perfected and he and might enjoy a fullness of I testify that in our per per premortal state our elder brother in the spirit even Jesus Christ our foreordained Savior in the plan of salvation. He is the captain of our salvation and the only means through whom we can return to our Father in heaven to gain the fullness of joy. I testify that Lucifer was also in the council of heaven. He sought to destroy the agency of man. He rebelled. There was war in heaven, and a third of the hosts were cast to the earth and denied a body. Lucifer is the enemy of all righteousness and seeks the misery of all mankind. I testify that all those who come into mortality, our Father's plan, have proved faithful in their first estate in heaven. They are now subject to the test in this second estate. We test entails Further testimony that the Lord requires. Those who prove faithful in this second estate will have glory added upon their heads forever and ever. I testify that God reveals His will 
to men through the light of Christ. They receive the additional light of the gift of the Holy Ghost through the laying on of hands by God's authorized servants following baptism. I testify that throughout the ages the spoken God has spoken to his children through his prophets. Only when there is children rejected the prophets were prophets taken out of their midst and then tragedy followed. I testify that Christ was born into mortality with Mary as his mother and our father as his father. We lived, he lived a a sinless life providing us a a perfect example. He worked out the great atonement which through his grace has provided for every soul a resurrection for the faithful the means to exalt mankind. I testify that during his mortal ministry, Christ established his church on the earth. He called and ordained men to be apostles and prophets with authority so that they, so that what they bound on earth would be bound in heaven. They received revelation which provided new scripture. I testify that a world so wicked that it killed the Son of God soon began killing the apostles and prophets and soon plunged the self into the dark age. Scripture ended, apostasy spread, and the church that Christ established during his earthly ministry ceased to exist. I testify that the God of heaven and his son Jesus Christ appeared to Joseph Smith in the spring of 1820, thus bringing to an end 
the long night of apostasy, to Joseph appeared other beings, including John the Baptist and Peter, James, and John, who ordained him with authority to act in the name of God. The church and kingdom of God was restored in these latter days, even the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, with all the gifts, rights, powers, doctrines, offices, and blessings of the former day church. I testify that through the Book of Mormon, God has provided for our day tangible evidence that Jesus is the Christ and Joseph Smith is his prophet. This other testament of Jesus Christ is a scriptural account of the inhabitants of America. I translated by Joseph Smith through the gift and power of God those who will read and ponder the Book of Mormon and ask our Eternal Father in the name of Christ if it is true may know for themselves of its truthfulness through the power of the Holy Ghost, provided they will ask with a sincere heart, with real intent, having faith in Christ. I testify that America is a choice land. God raised up the founding fathers of the United States of America and established the inspired Constitution. I can't turn the page over. <laughs> this was the required prologue for the restoration of the gospel. America will be a blessed land unto the righteous forever and is the base for from which God will continue to direct the worldwide Latter-day Saint operation of his kingdom. I testify that there has been, and there is now, and there will be legal successors to the Prophet Joseph Smith who hold the keys of the kingdom of God on the earth, even the President of the Church of Jesus Christ 
of Latter-day Saints. He received revelation from God to direct his kingdom. Associated with him are others who are prophets, seers, and revelators, even those who make up the presiding quorums of the Church, namely the First Presidency and Quorum of the Twelve Apostles. I testify that wickedness is rapidly expanding in every phase of our society. It is more highly organized, more cleverly disguised, and more powerfully presented secret combinations lusting for power, gain, and glory are flourishing. A secret combination that seeks to overthrow the freedom of all lands, nations, and countries is increasing in the evil influence and control over America and the entire world. I testify that the Church and Kingdom of God is increasing in strength. Its numbers are growing as its faithfulness of its members. It has never been better organized or equipped to perform its divine mission. I testify that as the forces of evil increase under Lucifer's leadership and as the the good increase under the leadership of Jesus Christ. There will be growing battles between the two until the final confirmation. As the issue becomes clear and more obvious, all mankind will eventually be required to align themselves either with the kingdom of God or the devil. All these conflicts rage either secretly or openly. The righteous will be tested. God's wrath will soon shake the nations of the earth and will be poured out on the wicked without measure. But God will provide 
strength for the righteous and the means of escape and eventually and finally truth will prevail. I testify that it is time for every man to set in order his own house, but temporarily, both temporarily and spiritually. It is time for the unbeliever to learn for himself that this work is true, that the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints is the kingdom which Daniel prophesied God would set up on the latter day never to be destroyed a stone that would eventually fill the whole earth and stand forever. It is time for us as members of the Church to walk in all the ways of the Lord, to use our influence to make popular that which is sound and good, and to make popular, unpopular, that which is unsound. We have the scriptures, the prophets, and the gift of the Holy Ghost. Now we need eyes to see, ears to hear, and hearts that will hearken to God's direction. I testify that not many years hence the earth will be cleansed. Jesus the Christ will come again, this time in power and great glory and vanquish his foes and to the rule and reign on earth. In due time, all men will be resurrected and then will face the Master in final judgment. God will give rewards to each according to the deeds done in the flesh. I testify to you that the fullness of joy can only come through the atonement of Jesus Christ and by obedience to all the laws, ordinances, and, go and gospel which are only in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. To all these things I humbly testify and bear my solemn witness 
and that they are true. And I do so in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. As we all stood a few moments ago and joined in singing the Spirit of God like a fire is burning, I could visualize that beautiful little temple in Kirtland, Ohio, built by valiant saints during their poverty and relentless persecution, but sustained by their abundant faith in God. In my mind's eye, I could see the temple filled with devout saints awaiting the moment of dedication, and many gathered outside hoping to hear the inspired prayer of their prophet, for they knew the authority of God was upon him. And then that moment of joy that must have filled their hearts as they joined in singing a new hymn, The Spirit of God Like a Fire is Burning which was hastily scribbled on the back of an envelope by Brother Phelps so so as not to lose the spirit of heaven that he felt. We, as did they, have sung today. The visions and blessings of old are returning, and angels are coming to visit the earth. The knowledge and power of God are expanding The veil over the earth is beginning to burst. We'll sing and we'll shout with the armies of heaven, Hosanna, Hosanna to God and the Lamb. The spirit that filled their hearts then, as we have been blessed this afternoon. How grateful we are for our pioneer heritage and early history as the gospel has been revealed and restored in purity and truth. Only 150 years separates the sacrifices and struggles of Kirtland from today's anxieties and personal challenges. I suppose every man and woman has measured themselves at one time or another against their pioneers' ancestors, wrote Laurel Thatcher Ulrich. Am I as stalwart, as self-reliant, as devoted to the gospel, as willing to sacrifice? Could I leave my wife and children without food or means to support themselves while I responded to a call to serve a mission abroad, or take these same innocent ones dependent solely upon me for their survival into hostile territory to set up homekeeping? and provide a livelihood for them? Or were I a woman, could I crush my best china to add glitter to a temple, bid loving farewell to a missionary husband as I lay in a wagon bed with fever and chills, leave all that I possessed, and walk across the plains to an arid wilderness? Some may feel that their lives of relative ease and convenience lacks the vigor and the fortitude of those who survived the pioneer days, that they can never measure up to the toil, struggles, and challenges our pioneer ancestors faced and emerge the victor, yet our challenges are just as important as those of the past. 
Our testing is as crucial. Our contributions may be as great. An essential quality of the first pioneers was optimism and ability to see new possibilities in a strange and unsettling environment. To beautify the desert, they needed faith in God. But they all needed, also needed faith in themselves and in their ability to help shape the world. The need for that faith has not diminished. A pioneer is not necessarily a woman who makes her own soap or a woman who grubs sagebrush from the land. Pioneers are those who take up their burdens and walk towards the future. With vision and with courage, they make the desert blossom and they press on towards new frontiers. The Lord emphasized one such frontier when he declared, Purify your hearts before me, and then go ye into all the world and preach my gospel unto every creature who has not received it. An inspired prophet, David O. McKay, expanded this fundamental principle in 1959 while in the Hyde Park Chapel in London, England. He proclaimed these four simple words, Every member a missionary. In 1974, another prophet, Spencer W. Kimball, broadened our vision as he encouraged us to serve more diligently by lengthening our stride. Our living prophet today, President Ezra Taft Benson, declared, Missionary work, the preaching of the gospel, has been a major activity of the true Church of Christ whenever the gospel has been upon the earth. Each of us has a sacred duty to personally assist and the accomplishment of the mission of the Church in proclaiming the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ in the perfecting of the saints to receive the ordinances of the gospel and the teachings of the doctrine of salvation and of the temples. All three are part of one work, to assist our Father in heaven and His Son in their grand and glorious mission to bring to pass the immortality and eternal life of man. In the spirit of these prophetic watchwords, there is a continuing but growing need to extend the frontiers of new member conversion, fellowshipping, and activating the lost, or the offended, or those ignored far beyond our previous levels. In the past few months, remarkable indications of interest have emerged in nations that have had restrictions. We sense providential opportunities beginning to appear where mature couples who have the experience, sensitivity, and insight into old world customs and respect for tradition may be able to begin planting seeds of the restored gospel in good soil to flower and to bloom. For some time we have been encouraging qualified mature couples to serve full-time missions. President Kimball and President Benson have stated that the goal of physically able couples and some women who may now be single is to serve a mission. The need remains. Indeed, the requests for more Many more couples from mission presidents are becoming more pressing. 
While firefighters were battling roaring forest fires in the West recently, two grandmothers, Altha Clark from Texas and Hazel Stills from Florida, kindled countless spiritual flames by creating, creating new interest in people who had investigated the Church for years but who needed a firm, loving nudge to accept baptism, and with caring fellowshipping reached out to the less active members. They don't take no for an answer, as stake president said, and they teach without offending anyone. They combine the spirit with hard work. A rancher said the two sisters have kept us so busy I don't have time to get my hay in. We keep them booked with people to teach. In this stake, the full-time missionaries teach very few discussions without a stake missionary or fellowshipper going along. The two grandmothers travel about a hundred miles a day on unpaved country roads. The dust and ruts don't slow them down. And while visiting a member's home, these remarkable missionaries ask if she knew of someone they could teach. Oh, yes, the sister replied, my husband. And directed by the Spirit as to how to approach this husband, they taught him the gospel and rejoiced with his wife, with his wife at his baptism. Fourteen families now have become active and will go to the temple this year. Because of the efforts of these full-time grandmother missionaries coordinating with the stake missionaries and properly following a plan in fellowshipping new members, a change has come about in the whole stake that has influenced the less active as well as the non-members. When people are taught and then fellowshipped with warmth and continued interest, until they are integrated into the mainstream of the Church, they are remembered and nourished by the good word of God to keep them in the right way. By working together, stake missionaries and full-time missionaries are able to keep new converts involved, gaining gospel knowledge and a needed testimony, and also bringing back into fellowship the less active. In stressing the need for mature men and women to be about the work of the Lord, President Benson related the experience of his two widowed sisters. One was a mother of ten children and the other a mother of eight. And after they had sent their children on missions, they approached their bishops about going on missions themselves. And President Benson relates that he remembers well the day they called him and said, Guess what? We have received our missionary calls. President Benson said, What missionary calls? And they replied, We both are going to your old field of labor in England. They did go to England and served as companions for 20 months. Thousands of devoted mature couples and single sisters have touched the lives of many for good. We are grateful for their dedication and courage, and oftentimes that great personal sacrifice. One couple indicated on their missionary form that they would be ready just as soon as they were able to find a home for their 80 hives of bees. There is an unusual opportunity for qualified individuals to do their utmost 
to fulfill the Lord's injunction to preach the gospel to the ends of the earth, and not only to teach but convert, as Alma said, that as many as believed in their preaching and were converted unto the Lord did never fall away. The Lord's work is blessed to have more than 1,100 couples now serving throughout the world. In Latin America, including Mexico and all of Central America and South America, there are now 51 missionary couples. From the Rio Grande River in Texas to the southern tip of South America, there are 58 full-time missions and only 51 couples less than one couple per mission, or stated another way, one missionary couple to work with more people than live in the entire state of Utah. For one couple to be assigned to every stake in this vast Latin American area, 278 couples would be needed. Even better would be to have a couple assigned to two or three wards. To do this, we would need another 1,900 couples just in Latin America. Imagine 51 now serving where we could effectively use nearly 2,000. Leaders from most overseas areas indicate similar needs in most parts of the world. One of our pressing challenges is to keep the local leadership trained and ahead of the new members. It has been estimated that within the United States and Canada, Canada there would be at least 100,000 church couples between the ages of 55 and 70 who are in some stage of retirement. Some researchers estimate that 6,000 couples could serve missions now. The addition of many of these qualified, experienced couples would bring untold blessings not only to precious people waiting to hear the heavenly invitation to come unto Christ and feel of His goodness, but to those who answer the call will be blessed also. The Lord instructed in the Doctrine and Covenants, If ye have desire to serve God, ye are called to the work. Many of you undoubtedly have the desire but may need some gentle encouragement to complete your decision. I challenged eight couples in my former home stake in California to set aside their comfortable lives of planned retirement and to bless the Scottish saints with their gospel knowledge and service. Arthur Tulene had been a bishop, his wife Myra a skilled teacher. Arthur anxiously wrote me that he was nearing seventy and might die in Scotland. I replied, Arthur, you are going to die somewhere. Scotland is a great place to die. (laughs) But when you die, die with your boots on, not in a comfortable rocking chair. The two leans came, blessed the lives of many, and Arthur lived several years after their two-year mission. Many couples have concerns, concerns about leaving their homes and families, or they picture themselves being sent to a developing area of the world 
or struggling to learn a new language or trying to keep up with the younger missionaries' tracting and their work pace. These concerns are generally unwarranted. Missionary couples are not expected to work at the same pace or follow the schedule of the younger missionaries. Mission presidents are sensitive to each couple's special need and establish activity and assignments that make the best use of abilities, experience, and talents. With very few exceptions, couples are assigned to developing areas or to missions requiring a new lash requiring a new language, without, they are not without some experience or have expressed a willingness to accept such an assignment. Emma Lou and Joseph Slagowski could not speak English, but were called to the Peru-Lima South Mission. They participated in a trial pre-mission language project for mature couples that assists them in learning language skills in their own homes prior to entering the missionary training center for their training. Sister Slagowski writes, When our stake president asked us if we would be willing to take part in a new pre-mission language learning project, we were concerned but accepted. She said, I am now 66 years old, and school was never easy for me. But without the pre-mission training center Spanish, in the Spanish program, it would have been impossible. But before we arrived at the mission, mission training center, I could read Spanish quite well, could pray, bear testimony of God the Father and Jesus Christ. To me, it's a miracle. We plan on another Spanish-speaking mission after this one, if health permits. There are few things that invite the blessings of the Lord into our lives and to the lives of our family members more powerfully than does missionary service, the broadening of knowledge of the gospel principles, a deeper spirituality, a strengthening of one's faith in the Lord, a greater understanding of the workings of the Spirit, and the expanding of one's talents as, the, as promised by the Savior in the parable of the talents. Though you may have had many years of married life together, you will never work so closely and so intensely with one another in such a rewarding effort. Your love will deepen and you will discover wonderful new dimensions of your companion's inner soul. You will have a greater feeling of unity and a heavenly relationship will be strengthened. If you as a couple meet the personal qualifications, don't wait to be asked. Go to your bishop. He probably is waiting for you. Humbly and prayerfully talk about your plans and desires, even though you may not be quite ready. He will counsel and guide you. Study the scriptures daily. Take care of your health. Study your own missionary savings account just as you encourage your sons and your grandchildren to do. And you might even begin learning a second language. Eternal justice requires that all of God's children have adequate opportunity to hear and receive the gospel message. Christ taught, and this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world 
for a witness unto all nations, and then shall the end come. And now, my dear friends, as we near the closing moments of this historic conference and receive the counsel from our prophet, I add my witness of his divine calling to lead this Church as God's holy prophet upon the earth today. We sustain and love him dearly. Our philosophy of life is in accord with divine purposes, and if followed in our actions, will lead us unerringly to eternal life. I leave you this witness and blessings as you move forward to fulfill your commitments and live His commandments. This work is true. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. That was a thrilling expression of power in the singing of that magnificent hymn. Coming near the end of the conference, I feel advance approval for my remarks, since much of what I have planned to say has already been used by previous speakers. But speaking, as I do, of the preoccupation of humanity, it is generally with dying. The general tendency, of course, is to try to avoid it. (laughs) From time immemorial, the dream has been to extend life indefinitely. There have been potions and elixirs which would supposedly protect a person from death. Legends of the fountain of youth have led men on to the ends of the earth. Things are not so different today. From wrinkle creams to vitamins to exercise programs, preoccupation with cholesterol, climate control, health resorts, innovations in clothing and food preparations and supplements all promise an extension of our years. The medical profession is dedicated to saving human life as are the countless laws, regulations, and customs of our society. It is true that many of these life-saving efforts have a beneficial effect on the quality of life. The end result, however, is that we die anyway. (laughs) From Adam to Abraham, from Peter and Paul to Henry VIII, George Washington and the rest, all have departed with their generations, and so will we. Where did they go, this countless flowering of humanity? Is there a purpose in such a temporary existence? Some say there is not. The great question of Job haunts us all. If a man die, shall he live again? Of course he shall. The answer is found in the doctrine of eternal life. It is the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news, the glad tidings. Even those who don't think they will live again or who don't want to live again will nevertheless arise from the grave and live again. There is nothing they can do to stop it since life is eternal. A dear friend told of the passing away of his atheistic father. As he bid goodbye to his family who had gathered around, 
He expressed no hope of any future, saying, No, this is the end. Then, as the last moment came, he suddenly opened his eyes and said distinctly, Mother, how good to see you. Sister, you look lovely. How beautiful it all is. And then he died. What a surprise it must have been for him. (laughs) I hope he was happy about it. Now, in view of the almost universal concern over the quality of mortal life, and since some people seem to think seem to be happier than others, we might ask the question about eternal life. How can I be sure to have a happy experience there? And remember, eternity is a long, long time. Well, you can listen to those who know about it. Atheists don't know about it. Careless, worldly, materialistic people don't know about it. Or at best, they are unconcerned. Who does know? Well, God knows. He is the Eternal Father. And Christ knows. He controls the plan which can bring the quality of happiness. And His prophets know. And so do those who listen to the prophets and understand the scriptures. Even in the Church, the doctrine of eternal life is not always well understood or appreciated. If it were, many members would do more about it. After all, the quality of that eternal existence is in our own hands. Jacob in the Book of Mormon said, Wherefore, how great the importance to make these things known unto the inhabitants of the earth, that they may know that there is no flesh that can dwell in the presence of God, save it be through the merits and mercy and grace of the Holy Messiah. For the Savior said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. The night the angel appeared to Joseph Smith, he said, There was a book written, deposited, written upon gold plates, giving an account of the former inhabitants of this continent and the source from whence they sprang. He also said that the fullness of the everlasting gospel was contained in it, as delivered by the Savior to the the ancient inhabitants. You would think that everyone would want to know what the Savior said to the inhabitants on the American continent. The truth is, however, that many don't. They don't want to hear revelations, and they don't want the gospel to be restored. I had an interesting experience years ago as we were returning on a ship from South America. Three ministers were on board, and soon each one came to me and asked if there might be an opportunity to talk together to know what the Mormons believed. One was a Methodist, one a Presbyterian, and one a disciple of Christ. We arranged a visit together and spent a pleasant hour, they asking questions and I giving answers. Our visit was warm, friendly, and congenial. After about the first ten minutes, they began to look at each other and say, Isn't it interesting? He has an answer for every question. And they repeated this comment over and over. A day or two later, the Methodist brother stopped to talk with me, saying, I have been thinking of what you told us the other day. I think you know too much. 
I, I wonder if God wants, you to, wants us to know everything. I could tell that he was offended at my knowledge of the revelations. Other people are simply not interested, having been carried away by selfish interests and material possessions. Elder L. Ray Christiansen told of a wealthy man in Denmark who was converted to the gospel and had migrated to Utah. His commitment caused the loss of much of his fortune, but after settling here he again had the ability to amass riches and in the process lost his faith and testimony. As his brethren tried to counsel him about his eternal purpose, he would not listen. Finally, one of them said to him, Lars, it is not good to think only of money. You cannot take it with you, you know. Lars answered, What is that you say? And was told again, I say you cannot take it with you. Lars responded, Well, then I will not go. Elder Christiansen's report was that he had gone anyway. <laughs> and we will go as well. Joseph Smith tells us that happiness is the object and design of our existence and will be the end thereof if we pursue the path which leads to it. There are several fundamentals which those who seek to enjoy quality in their eternal existence would want to consider. We begin by knowing of Jesus Christ and determining to follow Him. Peter said, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. And with many other words did he testify and exhort, saying, Save yourselves from this untoward generation. Then they that gladly received his word were baptized. 3,000 souls. Then we press forward with a steadfastness in Christ and endure to the end, and thus saith the Father, Ye shall have eternal life. We are to take upon us His name and always remember Him and keep His commandments. That seems to be keeping our repentance up to date. Now comes the call to serve. We serve God and our fellow men. The parable of the Good Samaritan came in answer to the lawyer's question, What must I do to obtain eternal life? Thou shalt love the Lord thy God and thy neighbor as thyself. In the portrayal of the Judgment Day in the 25th chapter of Matthew, we are called to serve, to serve those who are unhungered or thirsty, or a stranger, naked, sick, or in prison. Evidently, those who do not undertake this service will not qualify. As the Lord says, Inasmuch as ye did it not to one of the least of these, ye did it not to me. And these shall go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into life eternal. To receive the blessings that accompany this service, we obtain a priesthood and a power. It has been called the Holy Priesthood after the order of the Son of God. And without the ordinances thereof and the authority of the priesthood, no man can see the face of God, even the Father, and live. And furthermore, woe unto all those who come not unto this priesthood.
Now the way of God leads us to the temple. In the last eight years, the number of temples in the Church has increased from 17 to 41, with six more in the process of preparation. These sacred edifices fulfill an eternal purpose. Just as the ancient Israelites looked to the temple for their salvation, even so will those who are in earnest find in the temple the pathway to the presence of the Father and the Son. There they receive holy ordinances as they covenant to keep the commandments. The doctrine of salvation teaches us that we do not merely step into the vestibule of the gospel by confessing Christ or by being baptized. If we take it seriously, we will reach for all the blessings. Remember, Laman and Lemuel turned their back on the tree of life. They joined the world and lost the promise. Finally, understanding the doctrine of salvation makes it clear that the plan of God was to redeem all His children on the basis of their repentance, even those who died without a knowledge of the truth. And so, once again, we come to the temple and, according to the promise of Malachi, we provide the ordinances by proxy for those who did not have the privilege of knowing the gospel on earth. We know that the teaching of the gospel and the opportunity to repent and be worthy of baptism is provided for those who are now in the world of spirits. The privilege of returning to the temple helps us to obtain the spirit of the work performed there. We perform this service especially for our ancestors. Moroni also said to Joseph Smith, quoting the words of Malachi, I will reveal unto you the priesthood by the hand of Elijah the prophet. The hearts of us, the living children, will turn to our fathers, those ancestors who have died, and provide them with the ordinances without which their redemption would not be possible. Immortality or the resurrection will happen to us all. It is an unearned benefit through the grace or free gift of Christ. Eternal life in happiness and glory in association with those we love will be the reward only of those who earn it through faith in Jesus Christ and obedience to His commandments. I have known of Jesus Christ since before I can remember. I was taught to pray to God in His name since infancy. I don't believe there has been a single day of my life when I have not openly sought for His blessings, His Spirit, and protection. I want His type of eternal life. It has come to mean everything to me. I know the gospel is true, as I have heard the voice of God through His Spirit confirm and witness it to me in the name of Jesus Christ the Lord. Amen.